The following message is from the 2017 IBCD Institute, Addictions, Grace for the Journey. Father in heaven, we're glad to be your people. We're thankful for the gift of food and the way you've made our bodies. Yet we also know that uh, we as sinners can take any good thing and make it an idol and cause ruin. Help us to understand what your word says about these matters and to learn of you. Help us helping others, help us to deal with the issues in our own lives. We thank you that our acceptance with you is not based upon our size or our weight, but it's based upon what Christ has done for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Um, coming back to Southern California, actually, probably the shape of your body living here is more important than when you live in North Carolina, as I've observed. Uh, People are obsessed with food all over the place. There's an entire food network. You have celebrity chefs. You also have an issue of obesity. Various statistics, according to WebMD, about two-thirds of Americans are overweight. About 27% are obese. Um, there's a new term that's more in, in common now is fat-shaming people. And... Uh, there are sometimes fat jokes because you're not allowed to tell those anymore, which is fine with me. Uh, what I see is also is people who want so badly to be thin, and this is not a struggle from which I've been immune, is they get on some kind of diet. And what I've learned, all diets work, right? If you follow the diet, the math is that if you expend more calories than you consume, you will shrink over time given being rel relatively normal medically other than that. But many people struggle because they, they lose the weight, they gain the weight. They lose the weight, they gain the weight. And some people say, I've lost hundreds of pounds in my lifetime, uh, which can be an issue of, of self-control. It, it's kind of a funny thing in our culture even to have this problem. In Psalm 73, it's talking about the wicked, and it says, their eye bulges from fatness. And in a culture, when that psalm was written, when people were hungry, for someone to be fat meant prosperous. Uh, actually, I was getting a shirt made about 30 years ago in Hong Kong, and I was bigger than I am now, and I said, I'm a pretty big guy, especially when I was in Hong Kong. And, no, sir, you're prosperous, is what I was told, so thank you, <laughs> get a tip for uh, that. Um, we're also obsessed with fitness, um, various means. There are $50 billion or more a year spent on dieting. You have a TV show, Biggest Loser. People buy gym memberships. I'm kind of, I do have a gym membership. I actually use it, and I thank you for those who keep paying and never show up, which is a large percentage. If, if only the people, if the only people who paid were the ones who showed up, they'd all go out of business. Um, all kinds of things. There'd be gimmicks, alternative medicine, surgeries, uh, some surgeries not to lose weight, but to otherwise sculpt your body to get rid of bags you don't like under your eyes or other, you know, reshaping yourself to meet whatever the current culture says is the ideal. And even people who are in decent shape uh, are constantly comparing themselves to others, they go to the gym, and this guy's got bigger these than I do, or whatever. Um, but in terms of counseling, uh, there are many issues. Some of them are very serious. I'm not gonna get into anorexia, bulimia in much detail here. I think there's some really good things written. Elise has written about that in the Journal of Biblical Counseling. Uh, there are other resources like that. Shannon McCoy, who's here, has also written a book, um, Love, Help, I'm a slave to food, which they have in there, which is very good. Um, the, the more, so the issues I'm going to deal with is kind of food idolatry. Now, anorexia and bulimia are related to food idolatry in the sense some would be I need to be in control of what I eat. A lot of it would be I need to have a certain kind of body and I'm willing either to starve myself or to throw up to maintain control and shape my body the way I want rather than uh, using food in its proper place. Uh, the more common issues are gluttony, uh, being unhealthy. That can lead to other issues as well. 
uh, I'm, I must have the food I want when I want it. It can affect how people view themselves. It can affect marriages or potential for marriage. Um, and there are, it's not merely a, a medical issue. There are spiritual issues. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. There can be pride when you've lost the weight and you look around and actually when I lost a bunch of weight um, several years ago uh, and I had people coming up and oh that's great you've lost all this weight and I remember thinking of the the ruler in the book of Acts when they said the voice of a God and not a man and he got eaten by worms and died and I felt like for me to take credit for what God had enabled me to do would be equally sinful. I, and likewise, I don't think you need to be a failure at something to counsel people. I don't think you need to be a drunk or a former drunk to counsel people with those addiction issues. I will say that I've never struggled with drunkenness. I've not struggled with a lot of the other issues being talked about. But food for me is the thing. And part of it is where do you turn when you feel lonely, discouraged, when you want a little high and drink has never been that for me, never taken an illegal drug in my life. But when I'm feeling kind of down, and actually, by the way, what, you know what they do to the speakers of this conference? They give you a sack full of bad things. You know, all these things that should be you. <laughs> Amen. That, that would definitely, that might improve. You, you guys, guys are going to rate this when you're done, so maybe I should pass that out. Um, but it's also kind of funny because there, there are counseling issues, but you go to counseling conferences and you'll rarely hear anybody talk about this. Uh, one reason, if you look around, even at us, those of us who speak, it's not really the thing we want to talk about sometimes. It's also something more socially acceptable, okay? I mean, if you're committing adultery or you're drunk or you're smoking pot or addicted to drugs, those are big issues and it's going to get you in trouble. Being heavy is much more socially acceptable. And not everyone is heavy because they're sinful. People have different metabolisms and different body types. I think it's very important not to judge people by saying, well, look at him. He must be a sinful glutton. I've known people. Uh, we had a friend, we lived overseas, who hardly ate. And the top half of her body was just as thin as could possibly be. And the bottom half of her body was the opposite of that. There was nothing she was able to do about it. It was not no blame. It was frustrating for her. We look forward to the new heavens, the new earth where things will get better. This can be an identity issue as well. People are labeled, you're a drunkard. And some people is, I'm a fatty or I'm a this, I'm a that. And a lot of times it's what we think of ourselves and what we become obsessed with. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about food. And I've got a lot of verses in your notes there. Uh, God in Genesis 1 gave, you know, we, we focus a lot on the one food option we were not allowed to have, but the menu was quite extensive. I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed to be food for you. And, and this is something I think we need to appreciate, and it's elsewhere in Scripture as well. And in the Genesis 9, after the flood, uh, meat is given as well. There were restrictions under the Old Covenant, but then in the New Covenant, the meat restrictions, by and large, were lifted. And uh, we should be thankful for this. Uh, we used to have a dog named Coco. We'd go to Costco and buy these 50-pound sacks of dog food. That's all she got for the 16 years of her life. She never, she was, and she was happy to see it. But I'm thankful that I get to have beef one day and chicken another day and pork and turkey and certain vegetables are okay and different matter. <laughs> you know, but God has given us, and that's, you know, Paul talks about that in First Timothy. People who forbid foods are not honoring God because God has given us all things to enjoy if they're done so with thanksgiving to Him. Uh, and yet, the first sin had to do with eating, didn't it? Don't eat of this one thing. There are a lot of other sins. Uh, Esau sold his birthright for food. And uh, Hebrews talks about this as well. And, and it, wa it wasn't just that he was so hungry he was going to die. Part of it, that exchange was he so little valued the things of God that he was willing to give up his birthright to gain mere food. Uh, that would be food idolatry, wouldn't it? 
he would have lived without the stew from his brother Jacob. Um, he sold his birthright for a single meal. The Israelites, we've already heard about this during the conference and in the Old Testament and it's referenced in New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, they grumbled about food as well. God gave them manna and they grumbled and that's a sin that's also, they were picky eaters and they hated what God gave them and my wife was excellent at uh, forcing everyone at the table, no matter what their age, to cheerfully eat whatever was put in front of them as our children were growing up. Um, in the Old Covenant, a land flowing with milk and honey was a blessing of faithfulness. And starvation was a curse of disobedience to the covenant in Deuteronomy 28. And even in the New Covenant, Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat. If you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. And so God is concerned about the food we have in the New Testament as well. Uh, when in the book of Acts, they're speaking to the Gentiles. Uh, the Gentiles are even told that he did not leave himself without witness, that he did good and gave you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons. So God feeds everybody. And um, I'm so far behind. <laughs> Um, but you know, we have, so he feeds even the lost, but yet the body is not the most important thing. That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Uh, God even uses food in positive ways spiritually uh, in fasting. It's a reminder of how weak we are. And the Bible talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And when you know hunger, of course, we're, that experience is analogous to how we should seek after God. In, in 1 Peter 2, we're to be like newborn babes hungering uh, for the word of God. And he's referring to Psalm 34. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So the Lord uses food and, and the enjoyment, the proper enjoyment we have of food is a picture of our spiritual need and how he satisfies us. And that's actually far more important. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how Jesus dealt with food temptation in the wilderness. Um, we will even eat in the new heavens and the new earth, which is something quite remarkable. Jesus, in his resurrection, cooked fish for the disciples. And I presume he joined them in that meal. And there's going to be a banquet in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, also, there is no biblical command, thou shalt be thin. And you are ungodly if you are not. I know some people, thin ones it happens to be, who think it is sinful not to be thin. Uh, the Bible even talks about exercise, 1 Timothy 4.8, that bodily discipline profits a little bit. Of course, godliness profits for all things. Exercise is used as an illustration of you know, Paul racing you know, like, like a runner to win the race. Uh, so, and specifically, the Bible warns against uh, excessive and improper use of food. And it's, Paul talks in Philippians 3.19 of those whose God is their stomach, which is speaking of all appetites in general, of food being exemplary and illustrative. It's interesting that Mark was in Proverbs 23 at the end of the chapter where it talks about all the woes of the drunkard. Maybe most of you heard that. And yet, if you go back in the same chapter, there's warning given against gluttony. In verse 21, it says, For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. And so, uh, gluttony is also warned against as sinful. And they say, well, why is it wrong? Well, the, the sixth commandment is, Thou shalt not kill. And actually, this is the thing that I had a nuthetic biblical counseling confrontation with a lady at IBCD who was working with us several years ago. And this was when I weighed well, over an eighth of a ton, which would be about 50 pounds more than I do now. And she said, if I were your wife, I would be concerned about you, as I was about 50 years old at that time. I said, because and this person had a medical background saying, I would be concerned for your health. 
And I also realized that a lot of my heroes, Calvin, Spurgeon, Whitfield, they all, by the time they were my age, had been dead for a little while, my present age. Uh, and so there's a stewardship there, and you can eat yourself to death. You can destroy your health. And in my case, I thought that would be a bad stewardship in terms of what God has entrusted me to do and my responsibilities to my family. It, it creates every kind of health problem, diabetes, cancer, blood pressure issues, heart issues. It costs you money. It affects uh, your sleep. Actually, Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Uh, you need sleep. Uh, it can be a sin against your spouse. Your body belongs to your spouse. That's one of the reasons you should take care of it. Even more importantly, your body belongs to the Lord. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body in 1 Corinthians 6.20. Gluttony typically goes with other sins. That was interesting because Mark said the same thing. People who are substance abusers are usually sexually immoral. And the Proverbs talks about heavy drinkers and gluttons in the same breath as well. So, and that would make sense because both involve two things. One would be an idolatry of pleasure and uh, in addition to that, a lack of self-control and being enslaved to that sin. Um, so, and there are other examples in Proverbs as well, other sins, uh, bad friends in Proverbs uh, 28, 7, uh, that he was companion with gluttons humiliates his father. Uh, we worry about our food. We, uh, people lie. Uh, actually, I saw a cartoon one time where a guy was at the refrigerator and says, what my wife doesn't know I ate won't make me fat. <laughs> you know, uh, but people lie about how much they ate, just like drunks lie about how much they drink. And they lie to themselves. They lie to others. They're living in a lie to feed their uh, addiction. Uh, there can be self-centeredness. We talked about grumbling. But gluttony can make you less useful to God, which is an important factor. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a quote that actually reminds us, not all gluttons are fat. In Screwtape Letters, the mother of Wormwood's client uh, had a, a different form of gluttony. It says, all she wanted was a little piece of bread, lightly toasted, and just a little cup of tea at just the right temperature, which she sent back to the kitchen time and time again, with no thought of others' inconveniences. Is a little toast and some tea too much to ask? See, I must have, back to James 4, I must have what I want when I want it. You ever feel that way? I haven't had my dinner yet. What's wrong with this world? Actually, I would, it's kind of ironic. Last night, my wife was talking about how to deal with an angry husband. <laughs> Afterwards, she kept talking when she'd been done for 40 minutes with women who wanted encouragement. And I was practicing not becoming an angry husband because <laughs> I was really, really hungry because it was 940 at night and I had not eaten and there were like six people left here. So I got to work on her talk and my talk simultaneously thinking, I'm sure God is using her in really important ways for the kingdom and I need to not make an idol of food because right now I'm not happy because I haven't eaten in a long time. So there you go. Um, also, excessive devotion to physical fitness can also be um, a sin. And this can happen in a few ways. One would just be your life is completely consumed with exercise or having the perfect body. And that's actually what happens a lot of times with anorexia, isn't it? Where a woman says, I've got to be thin. I'm, they're, they're most, the great fear of their life is that they would be fat. And so they don't ingest enough calories. And then if they do finally eat 1,000 calories for dinner, they go run a marathon and they knock off 3,000 calories and uh, they're, they're obsessed with it. There can be the motive of saying, actually, one of the indicators in secular magazines, they've talked about one of the indicators that a spouse may be having an affair is a bunch of weight loss. Where evidently my wife is safe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, you know, that trying to appear more attractive for the wrong reasons, not to honor God, honor your spouse, but to attract others you shouldn't be attracting. Uh, just the simple pride that you're in a culture that values thinness and fitness. And so you're, you've got the little 13.1s and 26.2s 
which I happen to have on my car. Uh, and you know, but you look a certain way, and everybody's telling you how great you are. Um, and then just making your life revolve around that. And Elise Fitzpatrick wrote a book about this many years ago. I think Love Deed, Hate Deed is the title. And I remember one of the most convicting things I read in that is that if, if you're so obsessed with your exercise, you're making your family sit in the house and wait for you to finish your morning run or your morning routine because you can't leave on vacation until you've had your exercise today, something's wrong. Uh, bodily discipline profits only a little bit. And that was, that's always been helpful to me for many years now. So when I was a pastor especially, I wasn't going to skip church to go run a marathon, even though I, most marathons were on Sunday or half marathons, and I would like to have run more of them. But I'm, I'm not going to skip the ministry of the Word so I can go do my exercise thing. Uh, I would typically not run on Sundays when I had to preach because I didn't want to be worn out. And I would also be in situations think, okay, I'm, I'm with Caroline, and do I make her sit around for an hour while I go run so I got my run in today, or can I better serve my wife by doing whatever I need to do? And I'm not saying everybody has to follow exactly that, but I think the, the obsession about that can be dangerous. Or imposing your diet on the entire family. And I'm not saying, you know, if I eat wheat, I'm going to die. Or, you know, there are people who have legitimate dietary concerns. But just, I've decided to go on the Genesis 2 diet or the Genesis 1 diet. And, because that's got to be the most healthy thing. Because that was what happened before the fall. Well, I have no idea exactly what plants were in the garden at that time, what form they took. But Genesis 9 also took place and Acts took place. And God doesn't impose that on us. Now, if you want to eat that, you're free to do that. I'm thankful you're not imposing it upon me. Um, and the Bible actually warns about those who would forbid certain foods. In uh, 1 Peter 4, 3, so it's kind of funny. Things, things in the Bible, you think, boy, things going on today, is that something new? No, there are men who forbid marriage and advocate, from obtain, advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully enjoyed in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. It is sanctified by the means of the Word of God in prayer. So, again, if you decide you're not going to eat anything white, sugar, grain, you're free to do that. But to make your standard the standard for all believers can be a bad thing. And if you're allergic to peanuts, don't eat them. Uh, you know, whatever. Often the idolization of the perfect body leads to these more serious matters that can be life-threatening, like anorexia and bulimia. But again, food is not our problem. The, the real problem is idolatry, which is the same thing we've been dealing with with these other addictions. Tomorrow morning, Lord willing, I'm going to go to Isaiah 55, so I'm not going to talk about it a lot now, so you'll come back in the morning. But it says, why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? And God said, come to the waters, come by and eat without money, without price. And so he's using food and drink in that passage as an analogy for all the idols to which we turn. And if you're looking to food to do for you what only God can, you are an idolater as much as if you had a statue made out of metal or wood or stone. And it's very easy to do that. And again, I will confess, my struggle will be. Uh, it's been a hard day. Things haven't gone my way. Maybe that haagen bar in the refrigerator will make me feel better. Now, there's nothing sinful about having a haagen bar, but if I'm turning to that to satisfy needs only God can, I'm in a bit of risk. And the problem is that first haagen bar didn't, when I ate it for that motivation, it didn't really help that much. Maybe the second one would help. <laughs> you know, it still didn't help. Maybe that third one, and, and that's how people down a whole box of Oreos or something, is, is you're going to food for comfort. Well, go to God for comfort, okay? Uh, go to food, and you can enjoy food. There's nothing sinful, in my opinion, about enjoying a haagen bar to the glory of God. But if you're eating in a way that you're looking to that as your comfort, as your hope, you're doing the same thing the drunkard is doing, you just have a different drug. And that's going to also lead to the deterioration of your health in the same way that idolatry of alcohol or illegal drugs or prescription drugs you shouldn't be taking can lead to a breakdown in health and other consequences in life. Uh, and so, you know, these are things we need to consider. That, uh, are you thinking about food all the time? 
life revolving around food. That's good. If you're angry because you didn't get what you wanted when you wanted. And these are things, again, uh, you probably none of you are likely to have me over in the near future. But I've had situations. I get invited over to dinner, actually, in our new home in Charlotte. And this couple invites us over. And I look forward to my meals. i got to admit that. And, uh, and I get there. And this is a couple from Eastern Europe who I hope will not listen to this audio. <laughs> and they serve me borscht. Now, borscht, you know what the borscht is made out of? It's made out of beets. <laughs> and I had a traumatic experience that when I was a child, when I went to the cafeteria of the school and I picked up the beets. Guess what I thought it was? Cranberry sauce. I thought the cranberry sauce. I'd never seen a beet in my life. I bit into that thing, and I never wanted to see another one ever after that. I, I just felt like, oh, this is horrible. So I show up at these people's house, and they're serving borscht. You know what else is not in borscht? Meat. <laughs> so I've got a bowl of beet soup in front of me for the dinner I've been waiting for. You know, these people have so but you know, people often give us really nice meals, and they have us over. Maybe they'll have steak or fried chicken or something, and... Borscht, <laughs> to give thanks for borscht, <laughs> to enjoy it to the glory of God. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you one, I'll briefly tell you another story since it's late. And I, I'm not as funny as Chris Moles, but I've got a couple things I can tell you. <laughs> um, but there was another time I went with Caroline to people. And the other thing I really deplore Another, another of a few things I really deplore is green peppers. We show up at these people's house, and they serve stuffed green peppers. <laughs> Again, mostly rice, not even much ground beef in it. And so I look at that thing, and I think, what am I going to do with this? And I said, the best solution to this is to take it as one big pill. <laughs> and so I went after that thing as soon as we finished praying, just downed it. And the hostess said, you must have really liked that. Plop. <laughs> I'm not lying. So we need to be careful. And again, that fitness idolatry that I have, you know, there's a runner's high. There's, when, you, when I got into running, it's like, boy, you just feel like you haven't eaten if you haven't run today. And during this conference, I don't get time to run. I don't get time to do my workout thing, or I've had injuries. And... Uh, and I actually discovered, this is actually very distressing to me, I coined a term that I thought I'd made up that described the struggle I would have, which was exercise bulimia. And then I realized it's actually like in the DSM or something, where it's actually, I didn't make it up, but it's an obvious term, where you eat too much, and then you run too much, but it, you're, it's multiple idolatries working, idolatry of food, idolatry of being in shape, idolatry of exercise. But you're being, your life is consumed by this. Life is not what you eat or drink, the scripture says. It's life in the Lord. So how can we change this? How can people break out of these patterns? And it's the same answer as for the other addictions. Uh, the change we seek is unique in all these areas. So this is alcohol, drugs, whatever the addiction is. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so we present every man complete in Christ. Our goal is not just to change people's outward appearance. It's not even to change their behavior. It's a change of heart, which will then produce fruit of a change of life. And so the goal is not merely to be thin or to impress people with how nicely in shape you can be. The goal is to glorify God in all that we do. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that's just one little area of life along with every other area of life, your work, your family. It's not so you can fit in the skinny jeans. It's not so you can feel good about yourself. And, and this is where we are so different than unbelievers, right? I mean, unbelievers want to be thin maybe even more than we do because they've got very little else to live for. And they can out-exercise us and out-diet us in some cases because that's all that matters to them. But their motive is not to honor God or to serve others. 
their motive is, I'm going to win the biggest loser competition, or I'm going to be more attractive for my dating life, or whatever the, you know, people will praise me. It's really the exchange of one idolatry for another. You can exchange the idolatry of food for the idolatry of being attractive and successful, but it's still an idol. It's like the parable Jesus tells where you cast out one demon, you just get another bunch of demons instead. Uh, because the, the problem is the heart. And a, a, a passage that you're familiar with, you hear it all the time in biblical counseling, in Mark 7, where Jesus says in verse 14, Listen to me, there's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defiles him. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also that you do not understand whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it is does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. He was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. From within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murders, adulteries, all, etc. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. And that is so fitting with the food business, okay? There's not a food which is inherently sinful. You may say, well, I can only have one Haagen-Dazs bar a week and be healthy and... By the way, we moved to North Carolina where they got bluebell ice cream, and that is big time temptation. But um, it's not food that makes you unclean. You're not, you're not sinning because you ate an Oreo. The Oreo did not make you a sinner. Your heart is sinful. And the, the sin of the heart of looking to this thing to bring you the joy that only God can, or to be obsessed, oh, I must have this. This is what is the, my life is being built around. That's where the sin takes place. And that's what must be changed. The heart being deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Proverbs says, guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23, for out of it flow the springs of life. And so what needs to change is on the inside. And then, yes, the outside will take care of itself over time. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And, that, and that's when he said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink and so, or what you're going to wear. So as we seek after God first and all things connected to him, then that area of life should take care of itself. So the change we seek is ultimately found in the gospel. Um, rules will not change you. Diets are like little extra biblical law books, aren't they? Uh, thou shalt eat this many grams of this thing and shall not eat this or that and you're free to put yourself under that law but it's not going to gain you any righteousness before God. You can choose to live under those standards for your own reasons. Uh, but rules alone, even just saying I am going to eat less, I am going to exercise more. Uh, one is even if you could accomplish that it's not going to make you better in the eyes of God. It's not necessarily going to please God. Um, but also, as Paul would tell the Galatians, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And there was a booklet I created several years ago. It's somewhere buried in here. It's called Help I Want to Change. And what I do in the booklet really is just go through a balanced view of sanctification, as far as I think it's balanced, that could be applied to any area of our life we want to change, including this. And that's a lot of what's in your notes right now that I'll, I'll go over briefly with you, is that um, we are cha change begins with the Gospels. Change begins not by putting yourself under law, but as you draw near to Christ and you understand what He's accomplished for you. Again, it's the same thing that Mark's talking about with addicts is that it's when you, you come to Christ, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, new things have come. And, and part of the gospel is actually the wonderful knowledge that God accepts me, not based upon my works and not based upon my size. That in Christ, Philippians 3.9 says, you have a righteousness not of your own, which would have been gained through keeping the law, but the righteousness which comes from God by faith. And by God's grace, my guilt has been imputed to Christ, including my gluttony. 
His righteousness has been imputed to me, and I now am perfectly righteous in my standing before God because of what Christ has accomplished for me. And that is now my identity. My identity is not I'm a fatty or I'm a drunkard or I'm an adulterer or whatever the other business was. First Corinthians 6, right? Uh, you do not know, First Corinthians 6, 9, the, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He lists all these sinners. You could add gluttons to that. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were cleansed, you were justified in the name of Christ. And, and so when you become a Christian, you become an entirely different person. And gluttons need the gospel. <laughs> Exercise bulimics need the gospel. And so it, it all begins with, with the Lord. And I've already said, well, then how do unbelievers lose weight? Well, they exchange idols, but the heart problem is never addressed. And I think as we are counseling people who have issues of gluttony or other eating disorders, I think it would be an error to rush to the commands of Scripture without first grounding them in the reality, if they're believers, who they are in Christ, and of course if they're not believers, to give them the gospel. The basis I have for saying that is that how that is how Paul generally tried to bring about change in the churches, isn't it? Ephesians 1 to 3 is telling us what God has done for us. And for you grammarians, it's in the indicative mood. It's God chose you before the foundation of the world. Christ redeemed you. The Spirit sealed you. Chapter 1. You were dead in sin. God made you alive. You've been saved by grace through faith, not of works that no one can boast. You've, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And now we're all one body together. We all have access to God in Christ. And, and, and chapter 3 is kind of wrapping that up at the end of chapter 3, saying, I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to pray that you be strengthened in the inner man, to be able to grasp the height, the length, the breadth, that you would know the love of Christ. And then he says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that you ask or imagine, uh, to him be glory. The first half of Ephesians is just reminding these believers of what God has done for them. Then he says, now I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Remember what I just talked about in those first three chapters? Now live in light of that. And that's live in unity and love your wives and forgive each other and, you know, all, all the details of the commands. Even then he keeps going back to the gospel. Forgive because you've been forgiven. Love as God has loved you in Christ. Love them as love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so he's grounding the imperatives of the second half and the indicatives of the first half. Same thing in Romans, right? Romans, you get 11 chapters really. Here's what God did. Then chapter 12, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Is, is, where, where did we learn about those mercies of God? Oh, in first 11 chapters. And now in light of that, chapters 12 and following, here's how you live. Uh, Romans chapter 6 is a tremendous summary of this. And in the booklet, I spend more time on it. If you want to buy the booklet, it's online for free on the IBCD website. Not the booklet, but the talk based on the booklet. And in Romans chapter 6... He actually addresses the question that the gospel will always raise, because at the end of chapter 5, he's explaining justification by faith alone, and he made this statement that, verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And everybody who's not yet a Christian, when they hear something like that, and they hear about the gospel, right? How are we saved? By faith, apart from works. And what do they say? That's too easy. What else do they say? They say, if I believe that, I would sin all over the place because I wouldn't be afraid of getting punished anymore because it even says the more you sin, the more grace abounds. And so Paul in chapter 6, verse 1, raises the question that everybody thinks, well, what shall we say? Should we continue in sin that grace may increase? If, if it's all free anyway, and if the more you sin, grace always just keeps covering it up, let's be gluttons and drunkards and adulterers. Why not? May it never be, he says. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And he's saying that if you understood what's happened to you, the, the gospel does not provoke, pro promote sin and licentiousness. If you understand the gospel correctly, it promotes holiness. 
And this is actually something quite remarkable in the book of Romans, where he even says to the, in the Romans in chapter 1, verse 15, I'm eager to come preach the gospel to you. These people who were already Christians needed the gospel. They needed to be reminded of the gospel. And quite frankly, if a man is turning to porn instead of Christ, he should, as we were told by Ed, well, stop it. Or if a woman is turning to drink instead of Christ, she should stop it too. Or if one of us is turning to food when life is tough and we were treated unfairly at work and our spouse isn't very attentive or helpful to us, yeah, we should stop being a glutton and trying to use food to overcome that. That's all true. But we need to understand that our real problem is that we don't understand what God has done for us in Christ. How shall we who have died to sin continue to live in it? And Paul goes on in Romans 6 to describe how we've been united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. And he says, do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death. So as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And, and Paul, as he continues in the chapter, he's explaining how your old self, which was a slave to sin, died when you believed. And you're no longer that person. And now you've been raised to newness of life. And as Christ was raised from the dead, as I'm a Baptist in the sense I believe in believers' baptism. And we dunk somebody. We don't leave them under the water, right? They not only died with Christ. Okay, that your sins are forgiven. They've been raised with Christ, thanks be to God, right? And, and coming out of the water is a symbol. Now you have in you the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. You are a new person. And that's why we say now we are no longer slaves to sin. Before you were a Christian, you were a slave to sin in general. And some of us were slaves to drunkenness and some to sexual immorality, some to substance abuse or materialism or approval or all the different things, people, self-righteousness, whatever. But when you became a Christian, you've been set free. The self that was a slave has died. You have now been made a new self. You've been risen with Christ. And this is all really important. So how do I battle the temptation to eat? I remember who I am. And sometimes, and the analogy has been given in the uh, Civil War, after the war in the South, some of the former slave owners, plantation owners, tried to get their former slaves to serve them. And it would kind of have made sense for the former slaves. Like, you know, you've served me for 30 years. Nothing's changed. You should serve me now. We've got to get the crops in and maintain the plantation now that the war is over. And that voice to a former, that is my old way of life. That's the way of life I know best. Maybe I should do that. But what should that former slave say to himself? I've been set free. The Emancipation Proclamation, the Amendment of the United States Constitution, you no longer have dominion over me. It used to be when you commanded me, I had to obey. But I have been set free and I no longer have to do what you tell me to do. Well, sin was your master, and that sin includes gluttony. And it may be that before you were a believer and you felt down, the only place you had to go was the refrigerator. That was your place, that was your happy place, you thought, to get away. And I will give you a concrete experience in my life where kind of trying to put this into practice as imperfectly as I do. I remember one year at Christmas and uh, we had the family there, which normally be a very joyous thing, but we have three sons who are unbelievers. And I was remembering when they were children, you know, going through the Christmas story and talking about Christ and seeing them now as young adults, but not following after Christ. And I just felt so sad. And even just seeing somehow they would talk and what they valued, and they were being disrespectful. They were just being what they were. And I went up to my room and lay down, and I was even thinking, you know, another slice of pie might feel good right now. I thought, but the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so what if I were to spend some time reading the Bible and praying like a newborn babe hungering for the pure milk of the word? Could the emptiness and the ache of my heart be satisfied by spending some time with God? Is he really more satisfying than whatever it is that tempted me? I mean, it was a really sweet time, and I didn't eat the extra. It wouldn't have been, again, pie's not sinful on Christmas Day. But I remember, yeah, God is better. It's almost like, test me. Taste and see. 
turn to me and you'll find that I am more satisfying than that which tempts you, which is the positive side of things. God isn't just saying, thou shalt not eat, or thou shalt not eat too much good stuff. He's saying, I've got something better for you than sin, or drunkenness, or whatever uh, the issue is that uh, may tempt you. And I said, more on this tomorrow, that Christ is better than that which has never ever satisfied you anyway. And how do you feel when you did have the third haagen bar? You don't sleep very well. You feel like you've failed. You feel guilt. It never prompts sin, promises freedom, as 2 Peter 2 says, and, and enslaves, right? That's what it does. It'll, it'll set you free to have this one more thing, but instead it just makes you miserable. But when you turn to Christ, He satisfies your soul. You learn that. You learn who you are in Christ. And just one verse to summarize Romans 6 would be, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's actually the first imperative, the first command in the book of Romans is think about who you are. And this applies again, all temptation. Remember who you are. Remember that your old self that was a slave to sin has died and you're a new self with a new nature, risen with Christ. Remember that. And, but then he does go on, by the way. I have no idea where I am on those slides. So <laughs> I've not used them in a while, and I should have not tried today, probably. Uh, please forgive me for that, for the confusion. Anyway, it's all in the notes. Um, right after that, he then says, after he says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then the second imperative is, verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so you obey its lusts. And, and this is the other side. And I was talking in the introduction about a, a reasonably biblically balanced view of sanctification. And that as we fight sin, it begins with the indicative, what God has done for us. But we have responsibility as well. And it's not enough just to say, I'm just going to trust in what God has done for me. And I'm just going to kind of wait for the Holy Spirit to tell me to stop eating so much or whatever it is. I'm just going to meditate on Christ while I'm eating my bowl of ice cream. Um, Sanctification requires effort. The Bible portrays the Christian life as a race. It portrays the Christian life as wrestling. I believe uh, one of the speakers quoted Titus 2, I think it was Ed, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Uh, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work according to His good pleasure. So yes, we, we need to remember who we are in Christ. We remember how Christ is better than whatever it is that tempts us. But we have responsibility, uh, as Ephesians will, after laying the foundation of the gospel, to put off and to put on. Put off lying, tell the truth. And uh, we, we've heard about that as well. How do you know someone is really repentant? Is, uh, when the thief is quipped stealing and he's working hard and he's sharing with others. And, and so, yes, there, there are, there's effort to be made. And, and James says, let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. Uh, we can be tempted to do that, right? Well, you know, God just made me this way that I have this appetite or... Uh, I've even seen people, this is actually common with men in pornography, where they'll say, well, I asked God to take the desire away and he didn't, so I just am giving up. Well, we could do that with food too. Well, I asked God to give me only a desire for what's healthy and I still desire too much. James says, don't blame God for that. We're tempted and enticed when sin is conceived in our heart and in lust, the desire gives birth to sin and sin results in death. It's your fault. You have responsibility. And and don't just say, well, I'm just going to meditate upon the indicatives. The Bible has imperatives too. Put to death the sin. That's what Paul says. And and there's going to be a battle. There are going to be times when your flesh is saying, I really want whatever it is in any category of sin. And that's where, yes, I need to remember who I am, but I also need to repent of living for food or fitness I need to repent of using food as a drug to make me feel better, to deal with my unhappy emotions. I need to repent of being too picky with my food or eating so much that my health is affected. Um, 
and I need to learn to resist temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. In verse 13, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will provide the way of escape. Well, God has promised me that even though what I'm experiencing is common to all people, that I'm not alone in this, but not only that, that God will provide a way of escape if I, I look for this. That I'm, I'm, that's back to Romans 6. I'm not enslaved to this anymore. There is a way out. I don't have to continue in this pattern of sin. But success is not defined merely when you step on the scale and the first number is the one you've been looking for for a long time or the second number, whatever it may be. Uh, it's when you're eating and drinking to the glory of God as best you can. And that may affect the scale. It may not. Your scale may look just fine and you're still a glutton. You can be a food idolater. You can be an exercise bulimic or a real bulimic and you're still the food idolater. And then it can be, like even in Matthew, in terms of putting off, that Jesus said, if your eye, in Matthew 5, 29, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it from you. That it may be saying, you know, until I get this under control, having boxes of Oreos and haagen bars in my house may not be the way to go. Going to all-you-can-eat buffets, which are plentiful in the South, uh, full of fried foods and other wonderful things and no borscht, <laughs> uh, or not, they don't have, anyway, you can, you can avoid it if they did make that mistake, but um, it may just be, that's not where I should be eating right now because I know I would not do well. Uh, Romans 14, 23, whatever is not of faith is sin. Can I eat this to the glory of God with thanksgiving? And I should be able to eat lots of things to the glory of God with thanksgiving. But if in my conscience is saying, you know, I really know that I've had plenty to eat and this is not going to be healthy. And I'm really now using food not to enjoy to the glory of God to sustain my health. I'm using food to do what the Bible is supposed to do for me, to do with my anxiety and my fear and my sadness and my loneliness or whatever's going on, then I need to go back where I'm supposed to be. So if it's not a faith, walk away. <laughs> and then positively putting on glorifying God. Um, in Proverbs 9, it's wisdom has a banquet. There's some very good materials on this. It's called The Lord's Table uh, by Mike Cleveland. That to, to learn to feast spiritually, not just physically. Uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's back to 1 Peter 2, 2. That we, like newborn babes, crave the pure milk of the word. And you know, would it be that I would wake up in the morning saying, wow, I haven't read my Bible yet today. I get to read five chapters in my through the Bible thing that I would want that more than I want breakfast. That I, that I would learn to seek my satisfaction there. And it really is more satisfying in the long run um, to learn dependence upon God. Give us today our daily bread and to give thanks. We already read 1 Timothy 4. Nothing, nothing is forbidden if it's, it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. We live in an amazing time. Not just that we get to be human beings and not dogs with bags of food from Costco, but God has given us an amazing array of things to enjoy. It's like we're Adam and Eve in the garden in one sense, right? And those are, He wants us to enjoy them. They're a gift from Him to be used in moderation, to be content. First Timothy 6, godliness is of great gain accompanied with contentment. Uh, again, if you're invited over and they serve you borscht or stuffed green peppers, to be content. That can be a great spiritual battle for some of us. Uh, fruit of the Spirit, self-control. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I would say gluttony would be a fleshly desire, even if it's not specifically on the list. I think it's generally on the list. And on the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. If I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm not going to be a glutton. I will have self-control. If I find myself acting as a glutton, my problem is not my appetite. My problem is I need to be walking more closely with God and then the self-control as fruit of the Spirit will come. Because I want to honor God with my body. My body has been bought with a price. I want God to be glorified in my body. 
And we look forward to the day Philippians 3 talks about when our bodies will be resurrected and will be glorious like that of Christ. And again, our goal, you know, quite frankly, again, I'm now in my late 50s. Um, if having a perfect body is the chief end of man, the whole game is set up for us all to lose, okay? <laughs> um, your body's going to deteriorate as you get older. The hair's going to fall out. Uh, I love to run, but every time I have a new injury, I think this may be the one where I'll be walking for the rest of my life and running's over. And our hope is in Christ to see him face. And, and even with realm of the book, God, God did not just save our souls. He did save our bodies. And our bodies will be perfect, not necessarily the Southern California beach body that uh, everybody seems to covet, but it'll be perfect for what God wants it to be. Um, we, that's our hope. Uh, practical things to do, see a doctor. Get wise advice. Medically. There may be things you're doing that are unhealthy, and I'm not qualified to talk about that. And there may be things you want to do that wouldn't be good for you because of your own physical situation. Proverbs 25 says the plans of the diligent lead to advantage. I think planning is a good thing. A diet is a plan for what you're going to eat. And there's nothing wrong with saying to the glory of God, I'm going to plan what I eat that will be what I think would be healthy. And part of that plan could be I'll have desserts on weekends. I'm not telling you which plan to adopt. I will tell you again, the math is pretty simple for most of us. If you consume the same number of calories that you are burning, you will stay the same. And if you consume more, you will grow. And if you consume less, if you're, sorry, if you're burning more calories than you eat, uh, you will shrink. And some of us might benefit from that. But it, it takes discipline. Uh, keeping a record of what you eat. A lot of eating is kind of anonymous even to yourself. You don't even want to think about how much you've had. To give thanks, eating slowly, thankfully. Now, seeking accountability. A uh, general principle of wisdom is that it's better to establish, my opinion would be, it would be better to establish godly habits for a lifetime than to do something crazy for three months that you're not going to stick with anyway. Uh, what would be an ordinary exercise diet that would be healthy in the long term. Um, well, when is this going to work for me? And I'll, I'll just summarize. It's the end of the booklet. It's the end of my notes. That uh, personal revival is almost like corporate. I think it is like corporate revival in many ways. And that in, in this area of my life, I've had seasons where I've really struggled. And I'm fighting to exercise enough. I'm fighting to eat less, but I'm kind of losing. And I realize I'm losing. I've had other seasons where I've, the Lord has helped me. And probably some of you have had the same thing. That may be one reason you're here. Uh, it just gives us a great dependence upon God. You can't with your willpower succeed here. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think sometimes there's even a benefit where we're disciplined in some areas of life and we could be tempted. Well, I've never been drunk and I've never done this and I've never done. And then God humbles us in other areas and we see how weak we are and we cry out to him. We, yes, we consider what the gospel says. We remember who we are in Christ. Part of the comfort of that is I'm not going to succeed perfectly in this life. And I'm thankful I'm acceptable to God because of Christ and not because of my weight. But I am responsible to exert effort. But then even my success as a believer in doing that is dependent upon God working in my heart and enabling me to do what I by nature am too weak to accomplish. And that's true in all areas of sanctification. And there are times when there's growth and there's times when there are setbacks. That's true of the people in the Bible. It's going to be true of us. We plead with God to help us to use the means he's given. We confess when we fail. We don't blame him when we fail. And uh, the, the illustration I use in the booklet is kind of illustrates the whole principle is that uh, when Peter was in the boat and he saw Jesus walking on the water, uh, he wanted to go to Jesus. Jesus invited him to come. And there is, it's a picture of our sanctification in the sense that Peter by nature is incapable of walking on water, right? There's only one way Peter can walk on water and that's looking at Jesus. And that really pictures how the gospel is foundational. The only way I can eat to the glory of God is my eyes are on Christ and what he has done for me. But 
when, when Peter came to Jesus, Jesus did not levitate Peter out of the boat. What did Peter have to do? I imagine it was kind of, he had to stick his leg over the edge of the boat and put his foot down on the water, put his weight on that foot. And as he looked at Christ, so that illustrates, we only can do this by the grace of God, but we are responsible to get out of the boat and start walking in obedience to what the Bible says, realizing I can't make one step successfully unless Christ enables me. So I, I can stay for a couple minutes and answer questions, but I've run my time out, so I apologize for that. But I appreciate you, most of you staying awake uh, the whole time. <laughs> and let me pray. Father in heaven, I'm thankful for these brothers and sisters. I'm thankful for the gift you've given us of food. Thank you that we can enjoy what we eat to your glory. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow in sanctification in our own lives, to eat, exercise properly, not to be ruled by these things, but to enjoy them in their proper place and also to help others. We thank you, Lord, that our standing before you is solely based upon what Christ has accomplished for us. And we pray in his name. Amen. Copyright 2017, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.